the King. You are more than everything. So much more than a perfect day. You are more than I can say. And my words just fill me with. I think of where I might have been. If you had not changed my way. Carpenter's Way. Hope you guys are doing all right. Uh, if you want to stand and worship with us, you are more than welcome. You do not have to, but if you'd like to, uh, you can. If you're joining us online, uh, one thing we try to say every week is don't be a spectator. Don't just be a spectator. Join in with us this morning. 
alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now. My chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, you faithfully swore. He canceled my debt, he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace.
From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross. We'll never know the sacrifice you made for all our sin and all our shame. You took the nails. You took the place, and no one else could do what you have done. One name, one name is higher, one name is true.
stand for the reading of Scripture. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Amen. Amen. I want you to think about what you just read. Just think about that, the fact that he would buy our freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us. He could adopt you as his very own kid. We're about to sing this song called, Lord, I Need You. And I think sometimes it's hard to actually say that because we're so self-sufficient. We're so Texan. <laughs> we don't need anybody. We don't need anything. So sometimes it's hard to actually sing out, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. As a kid needs their parents, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your sustainability. I need everything. I need everything that you are. So we ask morning just join with us as we sing this this lord i need you
my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
serve you and glorify you. Fill with joy in your presence here, Lord, we offer all we have. First time we've sung that? <laughs> Two or three times? I was sleeping or something. That is uh, interesting. I know the, 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 the writing at the bottom of the screen is small, but uh, that's written with Southside's worship team, right? The, the worship pastor and all? You know, um, um, there are churches in our community that are doing great work. Southside is one of those. We're really proud to uh, have a relationship with them, and, and uh, Chad has written some music with them, and, and uh, what a blessing. I, I, I don't know, uh, I, I know you know this in your heads, but I want to remind you, as we sing, what we're doing is, you, in, it's, it's easier than just handing out pieces of paper and just saying stuff in unison. It is a commitment, it, it, and, and we just said, okay, with all you've done for us, you deserve more. You deserve everything. That's what we just sang. And uh, man, our songs are not just tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition, but as we start in Galatians, there's going to be some things that the church of Galatia was struggling with, or the churches in the Galatian region are struggling with, and it's going to be for easy for us to go, yeah, yeah, how silly are they? they but I want, you, I want you to understand that it's written to them, for, uh, but it's written for us. And one of the warnings of this, this letter we're about to get into is, don't let tradition dictate how you worship. There's nothing wrong with tradition dictating worship or, or, or grabbing it, but boy, it better be on point. It needs to be biblically and doctrinally on point. And uh, I, am, I am so um, honored. Chad isn't just a worship leader. This team doesn't just, just lead worship. Chad decides what songs are brought to the table based upon truth in them. And I am so blessed that, that the words of these songs matter. What you sing is supposed to be an expression from our heart, and, and man, as you sing these, think about what you're singing, because it's intense, and uh, it is a commitment back to the Lord, and, and uh, what, what a blessing. Uh, Chad isn't, and his team, they're not just like warm up for the great act, although, although they do that. Um, it is, it, it, it's actually a response to what God is doing in our lives. And one of the reasons we gather not at the end of the week, but the beginning of the week, is so that we can start our week remembering why we gather and what God has done on our behalf. So we can go out there and get beat up or punched around a little bit or discouraged or overwhelmed, and we can remember, well, God still got this. And so I, I, hope, I hope that for you, if you're watching online, I know some of you are being very careful because COVID is raging again, and we certainly understand that, but stay engaged and get here when you can. There's nothing like listening, the reading of the scripture. Do you know why we stand? Uh, we stand when we read the scripture because that is what the church has always done. Even before the church, the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, which is about rebuilding the wall, it said that they stood all day as the Pentateuch was written or read. All five books. Can you imagine that? No, I know you can't. Don't worry, we're not going to try that. But, but it's, just, it's just the reading of Scripture, and, and we stand out of respect for, for what we know this book to be, the very breath of God. 
So anyway, that was all free. It has nothing to do with my message. Actually, will in a minute. But before, before we jump in there, it is business time of the year. I wore my jacket just to let you know that I am a pastor. And, uh, uh, but I, 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 we're, in, we're in business season. So if you're visiting with us, thanks for being here. Thanks for logging in. We want you involved. But we are a family. And as any healthy family, we have family business sometimes that we've got to throw out there. So I'm going to do that this morning. Don't worry. Nobody's quitting. Nobody's dying. It's just our getting ready for our annual business meeting. So I, I just need to highlight that and say if you're visiting with us and you'd like to know what's going on at Carpenter's Way, as soon as this service is over in the welcome area, there's a table out in the welcome area that has a CW on it. And my dad and, and usually my Karen, which is my dad's wife, my stepmom, is out there and they're greeting people. And if you have any questions about Bible studies, if you have any questions, or if you want to make sure that on Fridays you get our bulletin, we do a virtual bulletin here now and a virtual prayer guide. If you're not getting those, you need to stop by that table. There's a little 3 by 5 card. Just make sure we have your information, and we'll make sure that Wendy and Dolores get it so that you can get all that information. So, so visitors, do that. If you're watching online and uh, you'd like to get those things, if you'll just call the office or email us, uh, we would be glad to make sure that you get that. So having said that, let me deal for a few minutes with church business that needs to be done. Number one, Wednesday night, we are super excited about having having our Brazil mission team share with us what, what God taught them, what they experienced, what they sensed. If you've never been on a short-term mission trip, whether you want to go on one or not, make sure you're here Wednesday night, 6.30, because it's, it's really important you hear what God did. We sent them, we support them, plus we need to be more aware now than ever before what's going on in the world. And there is no lean on what you're going to hear Wednesday night. You're just going to hear what God did through them, and there's no left or right lean. You're just going to hear what God is doing in the world and what we get to be a part of. So Wednesday night, 630 uh, for adults right in this room. Second of all, as I mentioned before, we are in church business season. So what that means is Sunday this morning and then next Sunday are the uh, final uh, days to nominate church officers. So our church family has structure. Uh, that structure is not a pyramid starting and ending with the pastor. It's kind of a blunt end where it has the elders, and then there's deacons underneath the elders, and then there's you. You are the ministers, and we just do leadership. We do not want to have a weekly vote on how much toilet paper to buy meeting, especially in hurricane season. So we just want to, so that's how we basically structure. There's a lot to that. But basically, who are those people? You nominate them. And at the end of that, while the names come in, and we've had a group come in, the elders begin praying over those names. And this week and next week, we'll get more. Uh, and then at the end of that, the elders gather, and we select uh, several from each of those, depending on how many positions we have. And uh, then we interview them, and then we start that process. But right now is the time to nominate. If you know somebody who's a member of Carpenter's Way that would function well as an elder, what are the qualifications? First uh, Timothy talks about those. But even more, I would encourage you to ask who's already eldering. Who's already eldering? Who's already shepherding? Who fits? Who would you like to be a spiritual leader of this flock? Who's committed to prayer and teaching and the Word of God? That's that question. And then you can nominate them. There's a table out there. Piece of paper. Write their name on. Put it in that offering box. And we will take them into nomination. Um, if, if there's somebody you know that could be a deacon, we have two deacon teams. Mission investment team that takes the, the, the we have a, a large part of our year giving goes towards missions, a significant portion of that. They take a, a large, a significant sum of that money into the tens and thousands of dollars every year, and they, uh, they support individual missionaries with that. 
So that's a very important thing. We also have a finance team. They oversee the finance of the church. If there's somebody you feel that has a heart for missions and is a member of our church, if there's somebody feel you feel that has a you know that is good with money, uh, and will not uh, will not be too tight on the past the, the lead pastor, you feel free <laughs> just decent. You nominate them. And, uh, and that's how that goes. And uh, so that's going on right now. Please don't take that lightly. You can even email us. You can text us right now if you think of somebody, if you don't want to fill out that form. And that would be fine. So, uh, um, so there's that. Okay, now I'm going to throw a left turn to Brad, who stands at that door, and the elders. I had forgotten last week to do a benevolence offering. We have a lot of families in need right now. And so after the service this morning, if there's elders here, there are plates in the back, guys, if you'd be at those doors. And what our benevolence offering does is that uh, we do assist those who come into the church outside. We'll give gas or food. But for most of this money goes to helping members of our church family that are having a financial struggle uh, during these times. And, and I mean, it's like 90 to 95% of that money goes to that. And we're not asking you to write large checks unless the Lord put that on your heart. But as you leave, just leave it in the offering plate and we'll make sure that it goes into the benevolence fund. And we have been helping a lot of people during this season. So if you want to help that, thank you for that. Um, okay, another business thing. I know there's a lot going on. Uh, you saw that our handicap ramp is ripped out. That's because it looks like there's a volcano growing underneath it the last few weeks. <clears throat> we, we aren't sure if there is a volcano. We will let you know if that happens. Uh, what we do know is that was ripped out. The concrete was ripped out. And we found that there is a leak or there's a pocket of water in there. And so we're dealing with that right now. Um, so that's what you're looking at. We will get that poured just as soon as we can. So if you have somebody with a special need and you need to pull up here, please don't be afraid to pull up here. If you leave your car running, I will probably steal it. But just, just only three of you laugh. That's because the rest of you are not sure. Um, but, but, but feel free to pull up here, even when it's raining. I know we don't have that beautiful overhang and all that some churches have. But just pull up there and let your people off and help them out. And we'll help and whatever we need to do. But that ramp will be rebuilt here in the next couple of weeks. But we do have to figure out how to solve our problem. We've got some good people on that. And, and uh, uh, all of our, and for those of you who are construction guys, all of our piping runs underneath our concrete. So we're really excited for the Lord to spend his money that way. So... <laughs> anyway, that's, that's what's going on in the church uh, right now. I do want to, uh, yeah, that's all. That's all I have right now. So let's pray together. Let's commit our time to the Lord. We're going to pray for those in our church family that have COVID. <clears throat> As you know, it's, it's going on. We've got other people in our family with that. So we're just going to take a moment and commit our, our time to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. And you do deserve more than a walking of an aisle and a baptism. You deserve all of us. And Lord, we're fully aware that you ask nothing of the lost, but you ask everything of the disciples. You ask everything of those of us who follow you. So may we, as we go through Galatians, truly understand that. That our life is not changed so we can be saved. Our life is changed because we're saved. Help us to understand that. Give us a, a deep understanding of, of this letter of Galatia uh, so that we can apply it to our lives today. Uh, help us to run from anything that is added to the gospel and help us to run from anything that takes away from the gospel. I pray that you will take our pendulum, our theological pendulum, and put it right in the middle where it belongs and that we would seek you above all else. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who have COVID right now, our Carpenter's Way family. We pray you'd be with them. Father, we pray for our country right now. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are being hunted down. Give them courage. Give them protection as you will it. 
May they be faithful unto death if that is your task for them. And may we as the church in this country begin to rise to the occasion of truth and hope. May we cease to be a political action committee and may we begin to be, believe to be a spiritual uh, body that answers the question, how can I be right with God? Get us back on center. I pray for us as a church, Father, that we would be a gathering of people who are passionate, fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of the cost. We do love you, Lord. We're thankful for those that are able to gather with us online. We thank you for those that are in this room. And Father God, we pray that you would uh, teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Having completed his first missionary journey. So I want you to think about our study in Acts. Uh, those of you who went through it with us, and, and for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, <clears throat> the way we do study here, is, it's like 95% of the time we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, I only say 95 instead of 100 because there may be an exception someday. <laughs> but mostly we go through Scripture verse by verse. And that means that each week, that, that message, that, see that uh, chapter, that section of Scripture builds on the previous section of Scripture. And so that's one of the reasons we stream live online. But one of our things, especially in the book of Galatians, is to understand. We just finished Acts. So I want you to, I want you to think back over Acts and realize where Paul is. We're not, we're not picking up at the end of Acts. We're actually picking up at the, in the in really early in Paul's ministry in the, with the book of Galatians. So on his first missionary journey, he led many to Christ in the Galatia region. Galatia isn't a, Galatia isn't a city, it's a region. And in that region, on his first missionary journey, Paul was able to reach many Gentiles for Christ. Many. And as a result, as you know of Paul's ministry, he didn't just walk in one day, have a tent revival, and walk out. He stayed there, and he planted churches there. He established leaders of those churches. And so he didn't just go in and leave, just get people to walk aisle, pray prayer, and be baptized. He actually went in, and he planted churches. With, with leadership, significant leadership, and strong doctrine. Well, after the first missionary journey, Paul goes back home to Antioch. That's where Paul was from. That's where his home church was. And upon arriving at his home church, word comes to him that the church plants in the region of Galatia have begun to come under attack doctrinally by a group of people who have come from Jerusalem. Now, I hope this starts making sense because this is going to be before Paul actually goes back for another Jerusalem council. That's an official church name. For Paul goes back to Jerusalem to argue that Gentiles are being saved because, remember, context matters. The church up to this point sees them, church, the followers of Jesus, see themselves as a sect of Judaism. So their thoughts are, to the question, the debate, and you can imagine, if you can get culturally in your mind, wrap this around, the question begins, well, how Jewish do you need to be to be saved? How do we keep the tradition of Judaism and married with Jesus worship, Jesus following? There's that conflict there. Uh, why can you relate to it? Because the church struggles with that today. Do we have to have wooden pulpits? Are there need, does there need to be a cross behind? What kind of songs do we sing? The hymns were good enough for our grandparents and Paul. Why aren't they good enough for us? And I want to remind you, those of you that I just made the hair on the back of your neck stand up, I like the hymns. I understand that. But a lot of the hymns have really, really bad doctrine. Really bad. 
There are hymns of the faith. One was just uh, traveling around Facebook on during the early 1900s after alcohol was illegal, made illegal to drink. There were hymns in the church being sung about how alcohol destroys and how if you don't drink, you have a better life. That's, that has nothing to do with why we gather, just in case you're missing the point. That's a hymn of the faith in hymnals that has nothing to do with God. I would argue, just argue, do not throw rocks at me here, throw them after. But if you cling to the old rugged cross, as I've said a dozen times, you're only going to get splinters, you're not going to get heaven. Whose cross? What cross? Oh, the cross of Jesus. Well, Jesus' cross doesn't do anything for you any more than Larry's cross does something for you. It's the man on the cross that redeems you. And I would argue that sometimes romanticism, tradition, things that we like, are Satan's most effective distraction from things that are actually transformative. For instance, for me, one of the things that I have struggled with, and, and, and not so much anymore, but I do like the romantic hymns I grew up with. But boy, when you take Amazing Grace and you turn it into My Chains Are Gone, you know what I'm talking about? We learned Amazing Grace growing up, and then it was trans... I, I don't remember. Who did that, Chad? Chris Tomlin? And he adds a new ending to it, or a new middle. You all of a sudden start thinking in a way. You have that, oh, wow, look at That's so cool. What a great ending. They should have ended it that way in the beginning. Or you start, I think Chad uh, does I Surrender All. What's, what's, is that right? And then you added the addendum to it. Oh, it's so good. Um, I can't sing it. I almost did. That would ruin it. But, but the truth is, there's just when you change things up a little bit, it makes you think, and our goal, and I would argue Chad's goal, although he may say I'm wrong, but the goal of adding new music is to get you to think, not let your mind go to sleep. I mean, we can all sing the old rugged cross and say amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for that song. And it, it actually doesn't say a whole lot in the first verse that we all know. If you cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown, that's theologically and doctrinally inaccurate. You are not carrying a cross into heaven. You are covered in the blood of Jesus. It's different, and it matters. Oh, come on, Mark. You're being too whatever. I'm not. I'm being accurate. And i got to tell you something. Accuracy matters, as you're going to find in Galatians. Because there is part of us that goes, okay, so it's a little inaccurate. What does it hurt? It's making people better. You could argue that with circumcision. But that's not how Paul felt. And that's where we find ourselves in Galatians. This was a letter written by Paul and a couple other guys, and you'll see that. And it was to be sent to the churches, plural, actually not to just the church organizations, but actually to those who are owned by Christ in those churches. Next week we'll talk about that specifically. But it is written to the believers, followers of Jesus, and Paul is not happy. If you think always being nice is a fruit of the Spirit, wow, are you in for a treat. But I want to warn you, Paul isn't telling off the secularists. He's not even telling off the Judaizers. He's telling off the believers that are so easily swayed into the warm, fuzzy feelings that the liars have brought into the church. And that's why I wanted to do it together. Because I think we need to realign ourselves. We are, we have this pendulum. And I get emails from all of you. From those who are on the, on the right side of the political spectrum who believes that God is a flag-flying, beer-drinking Republican-American. Oh, 
I, I know, the Baptist and you just went, <gasps> he doesn't drink beer, but everything else is true. He does carry an AR. To the people on the left going, God just loves everyone. And I got news for you, you're both wrong. Not because Mark says so or Mark thinks so. There's a lot of times that I teach things and I'm going, I don't really like what I'm teaching. But this isn't Mark's truth. This is God's truth. And behind you is the logo that Jeffrey did for this because he didn't like the one I made. And as the executive pastor, I have to submit to his foolishness periodically. But I, I want you to notice, I did, I did title it The Only Way in case anybody has questions. I want it to be as offensive as possible. There's only one way to God, right? So we're going to talk about what that is. We're going to talk about how you get to God and what the goal is of, of God coming and making that possible. But I want you to notice underneath, it's an exegetical study of the book of Galatians. And some of you just went to sleep. Oh, I keep hearing that word around Carpenter's Way. That's because exegesis means reading out of Scripture instead of reading into Scripture. And while most pastors and most churches claim to be exegetical in their preaching, they're not. For instance, it is common for a Baptist, and I'll pick on us a little bit, it is common for a Baptist or even an, an Assemblies of God pastor to say, this is an exegetical message. In other words, I'm not reading into the text, I'm reading out of the text. But he comes up here and he's incredibly entertaining, and he, he tells stories, and then he takes statistics, and then he takes one verse and applies it to it. <clears throat> And then all of a sudden he ends it and everybody likes what's been said. The problem is that's not exegetical preaching. Exegetical preaching means context. It means understanding what's going on and why that verse fits into that. It is exegetical preaching that has completely messed us up on our idea of, uh, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. That is not to the American church. That is to the Jewish group at the dedication of the temple, and God said, you're going to turn your back on me, and here's how I will make it right. If at that point I point out your sin, and you will turn from your wicked ways and repent, I'll heal your land. America isn't going to heal the American landscape. That's, that's not a promise to us. It is a promise to the Hebrew people, and it will be fulfilled. Or Jeremiah, that, that where we said, I know the plans that I have for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Fine verse if you're living as a Jew under Babylonian slavery. I know the principle's real, but you can't take a promise God makes to another group of people to make it for yourself. And so it's really important that that word becomes central to our understanding and our thinking as we go to Scripture. A lot of verses are taken out of context to make people feel better. And they do make people feel better. I think the Jews in Galatian churches, the rare Jew who lived in that region doing business, probably enjoyed the Jerusalem people coming back and saying, hey, uh, you know, this is, this is good. We need to marry the Ten Commandments and the law with this. That probably made them feel good. They're going, oh, I remember this from my childhood. I loved it. There's only one problem. Salvation is not a Jewish thing. It's a God thing. And they forgot that. Christianity is not an American thing. It's not a Southern thing. It's not a right thing. It's not a left thing. It's not a love thing. It's not a hate thing. It's a God thing. And we've got to get back there. With that said, I'm going to break the rules of preaching, and I'm going to read the letter for you this morning. Now, this is our living room, and some of you have kids here. Listen, I've done this with Romans before. You can thank the Lord I didn't do it here. But it's a letter. You need to understand it. You need to at least hear it once. And some of you have been reading this this week. I know I've gotten letters from you. I didn't tell you that I was going to read it this morning because I was afraid you wouldn't come. 
but I want you to hear it. I want you to hear Paul's tone. I want you to hear what he's saying. At the end, you don't have to remember every doctrinal thing in it. You just have to remember the tone, tenure, and truth in it. Three T's. That's all the three-point message you're going to get during this whole series. The tone, the tenure, and the truth. And you're very smart people. This is not complicated. And you're going to understand a lot more when we read it. So what I'm about to read is a personal letter from Paul to people that he's spent an enormous amount of time with that he loves, and he's... I'll let him speak for himself. This letter... Now, oh, I was going to tell you. So when I do this, and I did it a few weeks ago with three or four chapters, if you have kids in this room and they need to write on a paper, that doesn't mean they're not listening. Can we please not go back to that part of our grandparenting? Don't, they can draw. Kids actually listen while they draw. It's okay. If you do not, if reading this on the screen, and it's going to be on the screen, is distracting to you, then just look at the floor. If you lose concentration for 30 seconds, it's okay. You'll get it back. The Lord will show out what he wants to show. I just want you to tell you to take a break. If you were living in, if you were in my living room right now, this would be a no-brainer. So, you're in my living room. Just sit back, drink your coffee, read it on the screen, but listen to Paul write this letter. It's going to take me about 23 minutes unless I do Mark Wilkie, and it'll be done in three. <laughs> this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here in Antioch join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Okay, just take note. It isn't just from Paul. We've been talking about you. We've been talking about what's going on there. We're sending this letter to you. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus, verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. Boy, could we spend weeks on that. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God, Father, forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, intro over. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say it again, what we have said before, if anyone, so this isn't the first time he said this to them, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay, we're going to spend some time on that. Can I read that verse for you again? For those of you who are trying to meld relationships with the world and the message of the gospel, for those of you who think you can have an arm in the world and an arm in the church, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Wow. Verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me and said, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church? I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for traditions of my ancestors. 
But even before I was born, God chose me and he called me by his marvelous grace. This is going to be a problem for those of you who don't believe in election. Then it pleased him. It pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before me. Instead, I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I, I even met at the times was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying, and what were they saying? The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Chapter 2. It was 14 years later when I went back to Jerusalem again. 14 years. Okay? Take a breath. Take a break. Remember, this is a letter. I want, you to, I want you to think about what just happened here. This is 14 years later. So while we're reading through Acts, and we go first missionary journey, struggle, second missionary journey, so he can encourage the saints, there's a lot of years. An enormous amount of time. So 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. So this is after the breakup of, uh, 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 with John Mark. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me. They didn't even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Okay, you're going to hear that word. If there's a key word in Galatians, it's freedom. And some of you, some of us were taught that the freedom talked about in Galatians is freedom from sin. That is inaccurate. That is not the freedom that we have been set free for. I get to teach on that. It's going to blow your mind. Freedom is freedom, but not today. They sneaked up, I'm still in verse 4, to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give, them, uh, give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me. God really has no favorites. I told you, he's a little snarky. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as an apostle to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were well known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep us preaching to the Gentiles while they continued to do their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we kept helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. But when Peter came to Antioch, I actually had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. 
But afterward, when some friends of James came, okay, pause. You're going to find out that James had a problem following and he didn't stand up to his flock. When some friends of James came, Peter would no longer eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Wow. Peter, Barnabas. So don't be surprised that it's happening and it's that it's effective. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others. So he publicly rebukes him. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? A very effective question. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we now, he's still talking to Peter, yet we now know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made with, right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one can ever be made right by, with God by obeying a law. Verse 17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. What would, that, what, uh, would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Of course not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. That's freedom. I stopped living religiously. I stopped living by Mosaic Covenant. I stopped living by the Ten Commandments. I stopped doing that so I could put my eyes on Jesus. That's freedom. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I want to pause. Those are verses that you've heard a hundred times in different contexts. But now you know what he's talking about, what he's died to. The law. I don't have to live in the flesh anymore. I have been crucified. That guy who had to keep the Ten Commandments, he's died. He died with Christ on the cross. And now the life I live in my body, I live by faith. Verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there's no need for Christ end of the public rebuke of Peter and Barnabas. Chapter 3. Now it gets personal. Halfway through. You stupid Galatians. Oh, Pastor Mark, the inspired word of God says foolish. Foolish, stupid, bullheaded, numb, ignorant. You can fill in the blank. It's just a translation. You foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? I mean, for the meaning of Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if it had seen a picture of the death on the cross. Let me ask you one question, which, by the way, he doesn't keep. He asks like eight. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How stupid can you be, foolish? Stupid sounds more in your face. That's why I'm using it. But that's what he means. 
Remember, this isn't in English, it's in Greek. And he is really adamant. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? I ask you again. Did God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God had counted him as righteous because of his faith. I, I, I pause, take a breath, take a breath for a second, because I want to point this out. Anybody who studied Abraham life, Abraham's life goes, that guy was kind of a spiritual loser. I mean, he is reckoned righteous, but I want to remind you that he tries to pimp Sarah off twice. He doubts God's ability to keep his covenant with him. This is not a guy of faith. He does one thing according to the scripture that shows his faith, and that is about to put his knife in his son. That's the only faith that he shows in God. Otherwise, he's a constant thorn in the one who's telling him what to do. There is hope for us, family. There's hope for us. I just love this text. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous. That's called imputed righteousness. We're going to study that. And if you don't leave excited, then I didn't do a good job communicating it. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So his faith in God is what God said all he needed to do in order to be reckoned righteous. He's righteous. Why am I righteous? Not because I don't lust or lie or steal or cheat. I am reckoned righteous because by faith I have put my hope for redemption in God. If you aren't saved this morning, you will not find salvation in the church, in the baptismal, and walking an aisle, praying a prayer. You will find your hope in God. Run to Jesus. Run to him. Well, I don't know what to say. There are no magic words. Tell him the truth. I'm a sinner. You're the only one who can save me, and I believe you will. End of yelling. Verse 7. So he goes on. The real children of Abraham then... And remember, he's talking, to, he's talking about the Jews here teaching. If you want to be part of our team... The children of Abraham, you need to accept Christ. Verse 7, the real, or you need to be circumcised, they say. Verse 7, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing as Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under this curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey how many of the commandments? All of them that are written in God's book of the law. So, if, if you are saved by faith alone, you are called righteous by a God who knows you're not perfect. If you try to keep the law in order to save you or religious enough, then the truth is you've got to keep all the religious laws, and if you break one of them, you are condemned. That's what he just said. Verse 11. So it is clear that no one can be made with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture said it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which is it is through obeying the law that a person has life. That's what it teaches. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. And when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. Though Christ Jesus... Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit. What's that next two words? Through faith. So how do you get the Holy Spirit? Through faith. Notice it leaves out everything else. Alone. Through faith. 
Verse 15, dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or, or, or uh, amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it is to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So the day that God made covenant with Abraham, it was with Abraham and Jesus he made covenant. I'm going to explain that, and the hair on the back of your neck is going to stand up. It's going to be so cool. You are more saved, more righteous, more forgiven than you could ever possibly imagine, and a year of messages could convince you of. But you are not made righteous because you've never committed adultery or never lied or never cheated. You are declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's wonderful. Verse 16. God gave this promise to Abraham and his child, and notice the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants, rather it says to his child, and that of course means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would uh, not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham, and Jesus, we just learned, as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Full stop. If that makes your head spin, if you're trying to figure out what to obey so that you can be good with God, that's the point. Nothing. There's only one command for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And, and why am I preaching this to a church of believers? Because I'm not sure most of us believe it anymore. I don't mean you, but in general in the church in this country. This is truth. But the law was designed to only last until the coming of the child was promised. God gave his law through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use the mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law, and God, or God's law and God promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom by only believing in Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. Verse 23, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came and protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you see over and over he keeps saying the same thing? It's not because he stutters. The reason he says the same thing over and over again is because he's trying to make that point. This is why it's good to read a whole letter because what, he, what the author repeats is the point the author is trying to make. Everything else is an argument towards that point. Does that make sense? This isn't complicated. It, it, some of it is difficult because you're not Hebraic and you didn't grow up as a Hebrew. It will make sense as we study through it and I give it context and culture. But the point is this. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And we have all been united with Christ in baptism. That will be a fun discussion for East Texas. Because that is not water baptism. And I will explain why it's not water baptism. But we have been united with Christ in the baptism through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it is with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of the world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Okay, dumb question. Why did he do this? So that he could adopt us. There it is again. The purpose of salvation was not to keep you out of hell. The purpose of salvation was to make you God's children. And God's children get to go be with their father when they die. It is not to keep us out of hell. I understand the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I would argue that a lot of people who call themselves Christians were saved from hell, not from sin. They just don't want to go to hell. And it explains why they don't live for God. In fact, in the next chapter, he's going to address that. You see, you are not saved by works, but salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes in, does work and it transforms if it has not had an impact on our lives, we have every right to question whether the Holy Spirit's inside. It's not work salvation. It isn't even legalism salvation. It's freedom. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm preaching. Verse 5. God sent him, Christ, to buy freedom from, uh, for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy, Abba, Father. And now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has actually made you his heir. Now he's going to talk to the Gentiles. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. Please take note. He's just, addressed the, he's just addressed the false teachers, the Judaizers who are lying to them. Then he goes into a conversation as to why they're wrong so that the Jewish Hebraic members of churches, followers of Jesus throughout the Galatian region so that they can understand why these Judaizers are wrong. Now he's turning his face towards the Gentiles in these churches. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, oh, that's going to be a fun message. Who do you want to go back? Or why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you, Gentile, free from all these laws. You didn't mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you didn't despise me or turn away. No, you took me in. You cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ himself. Where's that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given to me if, I, if, <clears throat> if it had been possible. 
Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention to only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So he's worried about his tone. He's about three-quarters of the way through this letter, and you can hear him going, maybe I should calm down. Or a scribe is actually writing this. I'll show you why I know that in a few minutes. But a scribe is writing this, and the scribe is probably going, are you sure you want to call them idiots? And... But he's not done, okay? It's about to get really nasty here. Tell me who you want to, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? In other words, you're not even Hebrews. You are so stupid. How can you, I mean, you don't even know what the law says. He's just like us arguing. It's so good. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from the freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Who is he talking about? Ishmael, right. Because Abraham and Sarah knew that God had promised a people under them. They couldn't see how God would do that in an old age. So Sarah says, why don't you sleep with my handmaiden and get her pregnant and that will be the child of promise. So that's why he says of human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now, Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, Gentiles, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. So let me, let me just explain what he's saying, because this is jarbled. What he is saying is, one of them is human effort to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation, and one is God fulfills his own promise of salvation. So if the law is human effort, then grace, Jesus Christ, is, is, is God's effort. He's taking care of all of it. Why would you ever go back? Verse 29. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. Wow, that is, okay, I'm going to explain it later, but that is highly offensive to the Judaizers. Why? Because you know what he's saying. He's saying, while they're up lifting Jewish things, I want you to know that the body of Christ, they're not a Hebraic sect. They are God's provision. We are children of the free woman, God's provision. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. That is going to be so fun to teach. Some of your translations actually say he has set us free for the sake of freedom. Oh, it's going to be so good. Wait till you find out how free you really are. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. 
If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from, from Christ, fallen away from the God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith. Do you know why he says by faith? Because we don't act like we've been transformed all the time. We eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. We still live in a sinful state, but God has promised righteousness. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to have the best year. I hope you do too. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit of being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. In other words, faith living itself out. You are running the race so well. He's, a, he's about to get nasty here. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following this truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to live in freedom. The false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing that bunk. I added that. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, so now some on the other side are going, Paul still says you need to be circumcised. If I were preaching that, if I were still preaching that, which is what I used to preach, why am I being persecuted? If I no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Okay, you got it. I feel better. Because there's no way to preach this in an American church. But you understand what he's saying, right? Shook. This is so that your children do not understand. You think Paul's mad? You think righteous indignation? He's angry because they're being confused. And he should be. I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And then the legalists perk up. Yeah, that's right. It's freedom from sin. That's not what it says. He's warning us. Don't use it to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And I'll explain that. It's so good. For the whole law can be summed up by this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring each other, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, so here's the point. Here's what I want you to do, Galatian believers. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. This sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed or led by the Spirit, you're under no obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Okay, so this is going to be fruit. So now what he's saying to these people is, <clears throat> I'm almost done. What he is saying is, I want you to evaluate your life. I want you to look at your life. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, evil, or envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me say again, as I've said before, anyone living that sort of life doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. I will explain to you why that's not work salvation later. But it's actually an outgrowth of who you really are. 
You're not saved by working, but how you live out your life determines whether or not you're saved. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Notice the word is fruit. It's not works. It's fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, especially on Facebook. There is no law against these things. It doesn't say that, but I am writing my own version of the Bible to improve on what Paul wrote. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified him there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Wow, does the church need that? You are free to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. It has nothing to do with your walk with God. You are. But you shouldn't be telling other people they're stupid for being vaccinated and they're sheep. By the way, last time I checked, you were supposed to be a sheep. The goats are the ones who go to hell. So on behalf of all of us who have decided to be vaccinated, I just want to say, you have the right not to be, but you don't have the right to look down on us or tell us we're stupid or deceived. The world is deceitful. We are not deceived if we're following God. No matter what we think about the shot. And on the other hand, just because you don't take the shot, we will visit you. Oh, wait, start, Mark. <laughs> I'm teasing. That was a joke. Purely a joke. If you choose not to be vaccinated, that's your right as well. But you should not look down on other people or be, bring division because you think you have secret knowledge. That is not, is not a fruit of the Spirit. So we should let our country fall? Yes. Yep. Well, that's not a very American of you. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Do I want America to fall? No. Do I want my son, my grandson Sam to grow up fat, dumb, and happy? No. Because he'll be as weak as we are. I can't think of one reason why God wouldn't allow persecution to come to this country. The church needs it. I am a screamer, though. I'm not looking forward to it. I will never stand up here and go, yeah, now's our time. I'm a screamer. But you staring at me will help me endure. Because it matters. And me staring at you will help you endure. But I honestly can't think of one reason why God wouldn't allow this country to fall. It has not been good for the church. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. I'm sharing my opinion. But you know I'm right. It's time for the church to wake up. It is time for the church to pray for gold refined by fire. And I don't say that excited. Let us not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of each other. Chapter 6, and I'm done. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. We're supposed to judge each other. That's loving. Gently and humbly. It is not loving for us to watch our brother and sister invest their life in sinful behavior and not love them enough to talk with them, to have coffee with them, to build a relationship, and then confront their sin. It's what the body of Christ does. Well, they'll get mad at me, and I'll never be able to talk to them again. That is their choice. That is what's going on in this letter. Truth matters. So does our obedience. Obedience to what? to put our hope in God. Verse 2, and then I'm going to run to the end. Share each other's burdens. Question, what burdens is he talking about here? Sin. 
if I start struggling with sin, John is supposed to build a relationship with me, spend time with me, and take a risk to say you shouldn't be beating your wife while preaching the gospel. He is carrying my burden by taking a risk to tell me the truth. For those of you who are trying to figure out how to reach the lost in this culture, by not calling sin, sin, you are not loving them. Sin has to be paid for. So loving them is confronting sin if you do it humbly and gently. There are no points for being a jerk. Okay, I said I wouldn't stop. I lied. Forgive me. Share my burden. <laughs> if you think you're too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. That's going to be one of the more fun messages. <laughs> Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will uh, get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the Word of God, those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all the good things with them. You know, those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you haven't given in a while, the box is still in the back. Don't be misled. <laughs> you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should get, do good to everyone, especially those in the family of God. Notice, so this is the point where I think he grabs the pen from the scribe. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching what that the cross of Christ can, alone can save. Now you know why we get alone. Even the, um, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And all God's people said... It's not about religion. It's not about any of that. It's about new creation in Christ. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anybody trouble me with these things. I am so annoyed. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Lord, take this letter that Paul wrote to his churches and burn it into our souls and burn out of us the selfish, religious things that keep us from intimacy with you and sharing freedom with the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Next Sunday, we'll start.